The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. If you're a fan of extreme sports and racing, you're not going to want to miss the upcoming interviews that Brian Deegan has lined up for his podcast, The Deegans. Brian is sitting down with his friends, Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Ricky Carmichael, to talk about their careers and all things extreme. Be sure to subscribe on Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, and many other podcast apps so you can get new episodes every week. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. It is championship week so welcome let's talk some football and maybe even some free agency at the end sam yes free agency is cooking for everybody that isn't still playing football that's the thing most of the nfl there's only four teams left and i know everybody wants our hard-hitting analysis on what's going to happen and how it's going to happen and all of that stuff Mm. but we got to look ahead we have to give browns fans and bears fans and seahawks fans we got to give them something at the end so we'll bless them Give a little bit of a look forward to some free agency and what what's going to happen. Sounds good. You know, who's going to be available? So you ready to get right into the action? Yeah. All right. What's the first game this week? It's the That's AFC, right? Which way does it go? It's the AFC. Okay. This week. The Chiefs are hosting the Tennessee Titans, just as we thought coming into the year. Of course. They're both rematches. Do you remember the time we told Titans fans to just that we like we're going to give up on them? I think we oh. were going to. Kicked them off the podcast. Yeah, but that the was because Mariota was there. Once they got rid of Mariota. Is that uh, fair? Yes. I feel bad. We were. They were two and four. They were two and four and just doing the opposite of what we expected every, every week. Single week. It, right. was, it was it was horrible. Look, circumstances change. So our analysis changed. And obviously, Ryan Tannehill brings some stability to the Tennessee Titans in their offense. So let's discuss this game. The Titans on a roll right now. And as I was saying the other day, the number two most efficient passing attack. That is the key. There's a lot of people saying PFF. You guys said passing teams win. Look at the top five passing teams. They're not even here. Look at the box. They can't win any games. They got all the passing yards. Never said throw for 5,000 yards and you're in. Mm. It's the most efficient passing attacks. Yeah, I mean, that's it. And that's what the Titans have. That's what the Chiefs have. Right. So a lot of these, we've seen graphics. We've seen analysis that, hey, Look at all the top rushing teams. They all made the playoffs, et cetera, et cetera. So you can paint these pictures in a lot of different ways. The first thing we need to do is to stop looking at just overall uh, cumulative numbers. Right. 
because they don't necessarily mean anything, right? Yes, these teams rushed the most. They also rushed the most in terms of attempts. So, of course, they rushed the most. Like, you know what I mean? So, let's initially, like, everybody knows this, right? This is like basic NFL statistics. Let's, the first thing we do when we want to get a little bit more smart than morons is move past cumulative numbers and look at, you know, attempt numbers, look at efficiency Are numbers. Are you, stop insulting the people. I'm not insulting the people. Look, not I'm not insulting. Listeners. Yeah, exactly. Okay, other okay. people. The other folks. The first step in getting slightly smarter at this is we move away from cumulative numbers and we look at rate statistics, right? So yards per attempt, um, yards per carry. You know, this is like step one, 101, right? right? So when we get to more, when we get to more um, advanced numbers, the same thing is true, right? You still need to look at the rate stuff uh, to actually figure out what you're talking about. So yes, a bunch of the most... Uh, rush-heavy teams in the NFL in terms of cumulative rushing yards made it, but let's look at efficiency on both rushing and passing, and the thing starts to shift slightly. Let's discuss... Yes, you're absolutely right. Let's discuss a little bit about the Titans, things that need to go right for them to win. I'm going to start with their offensive line, because Derrick Henry has been great. He's been fantastic. He's running the ball well, he's running the ball sharp, but the running back is still always the stat collector, of, you know, the greater good that's happening up front. And that is with the offensive line, Taylor Lewan and Jack Conklin ranking number one and three among all tackles during the playoffs in run blocking. Roger Saffold, top five among all offensive linemen. If you have premium stats 2.0, PFF elite, you go to the Titans, you sort by postseason. And I'm looking at their run blocking right now and everybody's in the green. Right. And here, so here's the really interesting thing, right, is... So, you you know, I wanted to make this argument at some point, and what becomes inconvenient is this idea, well, if you actually look at Henry's, some of Henry's numbers make it look like it's all him, right? A lot of broken tackles, a lot of yards after contact. You, we all we all think of those as running back stats, right? Yep. Because generally, you know, if that guy's getting yards after contact, it's on the running back. It's not the blocking. But I, was, I, pulled, I wrote an article, it's on pff.com, and I pulled out some examples of tape that show how even those statistics that we think of as running back only can be a product of the blocking, right? So there's a great example that it's a run against the Patriots where um, Taylor Lewan, it's a, it's a sort of an outside zone run to that side. Taylor Lewan wins so decisively at the line that he blocks his guy a clear 10 yards off the line of scrimmage, right? Takes yeah. a defensive lineman, moves him 10 yards off the line of scrimmage to such an extent that on you know what is a sort of vaguely outside run outside zone trajectory, Henry doesn't even have to cut it upfield. He just heads towards where Taylor Lewan was and keeps running in a straight line. Easy read, right? Because yeah. Lewan is no longer there. He's taken his guy ten yards off the line. Now Landon Roberts shoots that gap, tries to make you know tries to make up for it, gets an arm on Derrick Henry at the line of scrimmage. Um, the guy on the edge against the tight end tries to sort of come back gets two arms on Derrick Henry. He obviously runs through that because the guy's got a 10 yard head of steam at that point. Right. So depending on sort of what you think the definition for contact is on a defense, Henry has either eight or 10 yards worth of yards after contact on a 10 yard run. Right. But all of that exists because Taylor Lewan took his guy 10 yards off the line and essentially opened up this giant hole for him to run in a straight line, 
forward. Yeah. If he doesn't do that, let's say let's say he wins slightly, right? He turns his guy inside, gets a little bit of movement. There's a crease there, but Henry needs to slow down, you know, make a move outside, cut back up. He doesn't have any kind of momentum going for him when he crosses the line of scrimmage. The dude coming back on the tight end is able to jump on him, make a tackle for three yards. Maybe there's a yard after contact. So essentially seven to five to seven yards of yards after contact and probably a broken tackle. So it's a good job by everyone happened because right? of yeah. Taylor Lewan yes. and the blocking. Right. Right. So and this is across the board, because, as you said, all their offensive line is suddenly grading really Tight end well. Tight Michael Pruitt. Right. Great. Well. Suddenly grading really well from a run blocking standpoint. Right. So Derrick Henry is the guy benefiting. And it's that's not to say he's not doing anything. Right. He's still making plays. But the difference between him being able to make those plays and not having the opportunity to make them in the first place is the run blocking doing damage at the line of scrimmage. They have crushed two really good defensive fronts in the last couple of weeks in New England and Baltimore, and it's allowed Henry to make these plays. Yep. That That is why we'll talk about it later when we get to the free agents, right? We, we're not going to rank Henry highly because, look, it, Le'Veon Bell is a perfect case study, right? Le'Veon Bell... One of the most talented running backs in the NFL had been phenomenal for years behind one of the best offensive lines in football. We ranked him quite high, I think, a year ago in our free agent list. Goes to the Jets. The Jets suck. Their offensive line is miserable. Derrick Henry, the coaching situation isn't great. So Le'Veon Bell has a crappy season. Now it's like, well, now he's now if you he was hitting free agency now, you know, we're near the top of a, of a list. Yeah, well, nothing I, changed. He just went to a worse situation. I think it just comes down to like who who dictates production the most, right? The simplest way that I like to describe it, who dictates pr- production the most? The quarterback dictates passing production the most. Does he need help? Absolutely. Do, we always talk about, you get this guy, he's mid-tier, you surround him with playmakers, great things can happen, but the quarterback still th- dictates things the most. In the run game, running backs like third, fourth, or fifth in order of operations. So um, the comparison I'll make to give Henry credit, though, is Leonard Fournette. Big, huge dude who could, you know, should be able to pull off some of those Mm -hmm. man-child type of runs that Derrick Henry has. But when Fournette was running for the Jags a couple years ago, he had a lot of those runs where he had three or four yards, right? Head of steam into the uh, second level, and he'd get seven. And that's why we never really graded Fournette all that well. Henry's grading well in this run here because he has picked up 4.7 yards after contact per rush. Which is better than like what Leonard Fournette would be getting at this time. Fournette would get two or three yards. That run would end up at five, six, or seven because he never made anybody miss. Is it easier to make people miss at the second level? Yes, it is. The other the numbers point? show if you could get a guy five yards right. into the second level, he's going to make guys miss a little bit more. A guy like Fournette never did. A guy like Henry is, and that's why he's got 12 forced missed tackles in the two games in the playoffs. The other point that I think um, muddies the picture a little bit is that it's definitely possible for running backs to have runs where they dramatically outperform the blocking, right? Oh, of course. Uh, The problem is, is that because most of the time they're reliant on that blocking, it's incredibly difficult to sustain that, right? So what what happens is, a guy like Derrick Henry goes on a run, and if he hits free agency at the right time, you're like, wow, this guy's, this guy's the best running back in the league. Pay him big money. It's, it's a massive upgrade for anybody that wants a running back. But we're not looking long term, right? We're not looking at the idea that this is an outlier. This is a, a run of form that he can't possibly sustain unless the situation around him stays as good as, as it is. And the great example of that one is Melvin Gordon, right? 
Yeah. Gordon's had a crappy situation with the Chargers basically the entire time he's been there, right? But last year, he has an incredible season. Like, genuinely phenomenal, the stuff he was doing despite the blocking. Ridiculously good. Now, I don't know if he, he understood the dynamics at work, but he holds out, tries to get the big contract off the back of that, which, to be honest, is 100% the right move. Chargers, again, whether they just didn't want to pay him or whether they understood the dynamics of it, said, hell no, you're not getting more money out of us. We're just not doing it. We don't. We think we can replace it. Doesn't get his deal. Comes back and can't sustain it. Right. Nothing changed. All the while they're getting better production out of Austin Eckler. Right. But the same thing. Right. It's it's if you were coming off the back of last season, you're like, that guy's incredible. Of course, he deserves a big deal. But you know that you can't sustain that unless the situation is good. So Henry is doing incredibly right now. But. I, every piece of data says that you should not bank on that being a long-term, sustainable, repeatable occurrence. Now, it doesn't have to be. It just has to happen again this week. Yes. And then, you know, the week, two weeks later. Here's the other thing I think we want to look at here. The Kansas City Chiefs have the fourth worst run defense grade by our numbers. Are you I'm just rolling my in position? No, not yet. Keep going. Proper cloth. We'll talk about them in a second. We'll talk yeah. about our friends at Proper Cloth in a minute. This is one of my favorite shirts by them. Um, the nah, Kansas City nah, Chiefs, good. by the numbers, have the fourth worst run defense grade. But there's a couple games through the year where it was like, hey, they're, it's starting to come together. It came together against Denver in the snow, against New England, against the Vikings. Back in week nine, the Chiefs had a 79.7 run defense grade. It was their second best effort of the season. Because if we talk about run defense or rushing production being dictated by the offensive line and box count, can't the defense dictate whether or not they truly want to stop the run? Yes. So even though the Chiefs aren't good on paper at stopping the run and Chris Jones is essentially like a game time decision, Mm -hmm. you know, their best interior defensive lineman. If the Chiefs really want to slow down Derrick Henry... They can. Mm-hmm. They probably can. Obviously, Derrick Henry, even against an eight-man box, could break one or whatever. But if we're just playing the odds here, if the Chiefs want to stack the box and slow down Derrick Henry and make Ryan Tannehill beat you, they could do it. Yeah. The question is, will they choose that route? Or I mean, are they still of the mind, wait a second, I'm going to let you run a little bit on me because we want to stop the pass. Right, and they've based, they've done that before this season. We saw that against the Vikings, they basically went well. That was their second best. Yeah, the Vikings. Yeah. The Vikings run all day. Their offense is Dalvin Cook, nothing functions if he's not going. So, despite the fact that we have a relatively crappy run defense, we're going to sell out yeah. to stop Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook rushed 21 times for 71 yards. That's 3.4 per carry. Broke one tackle. They were burying him behind the line of scrimmage regularly. You can stop now. Look, Derrick Henry probably breaks more tackles than Dalvin Cook in terms of, you know, if you get to him. But look, you can essentially just by flooding the line of scrimmage with bodies, you can stop a run, a running back and a running game if you want to, just by weight of numbers. Yeah, and I think if we're honest about the New England outing, they were seven-man boxes, and they were saying, you know, we're going to kind of – you know, we're going to try to take our chances defending the run with fewer bodies. And it did not work early on. They gave up over 100 yards to Henry in the first half. In the second half, they did slow him down and then credit the Titans when they needed to run the clock out. Henry and the O-line did work and they 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 finished it out. But there was a point in that game where New England 
did try to stack the box a little bit more. They said, okay, we do have to slow down Henry a little bit, and they did it. So again, I think it's but that's what, very so, defense dependent. Right. The Patriots and the Ravens are interesting because they have offenses that are not necessarily going to set the scoreboard on fire, particularly the Patriots, right? So it's in their interest to essentially keep this a relatively low-scoring game. You say the Ravens aren't going to set the scoreboard on fire? Yeah. They did all year. That's all they did is light the scoreboard. Yeah, but in a way that, so they want to run the ball. It takes a lot. They're not going to do what the Chiefs did, right? Which is, we're going to score 28 points in like three minutes. Yeah, they, it's going to take them longer. The Chiefs. Yeah. It's going to take them longer to do stuff. What I'm saying is that in for both of those teams, it was to an extent in their interest to let the Titans chew up a whole bunch of clock and not score that many points. And, you know, even if it allows them to, even if it allow, even if they're moving the ball comfortably, right? Yeah. Particularly the Patriots, the Ravens to a lesser extent, but, you know, same idea. The Chiefs, though, so the Patriots, what I'm saying is they had a game plan where if they say, all right, if Derrick Henry goes off for 200 and they score 14, 21 points, we're not in a bad spot. We think we can get to, uh, you know, 21, 28 points and we win. But the Chiefs... um, they're in an interesting spot because they should be able to absolutely light this scoreboard on fire. Yeah. Even like it's in their interest to let Derrick Henry run riot on them because the worst thing, the only way they can lose this game from a, um, a matchup standpoint is if Tennessee's offense keeps pace. And the only way they can do that is through the air. Like they're not going to keep pace with the chiefs offense by running Derrick Henry all day. A running game just can't do that. Yeah, and I I understand that there's game flow and you want to keep the ball away and all this stuff, but there's this balance between, like, you still got to put points on the board. The Titans scored 14 against the Patriots on offense, and the other night they were up 14 to nothing based right. off of a turnover the past game before Henry even got going, 27 right. yards before uh, while they were up 14 That was the most labored, butchered way of making my point ever. Me, by me, not you. Yeah. Um, my the point I'm trying to make is that yeah, wrap it up. Go go. I'm not even going to wrap it up. Tighten I'm going to try and like fix it. Um, Your point is, well, look. So what the what the Titans did to the Ravens won't work against the Chiefs, right? The way to beat the Ravens was to put them in a hole early on and take them out of their offensive game plan, right? Because you get to put the Chiefs in like a forty-two to nothing hole. That's the hole you got to get that because they don't play particularly well from behind, right? The Chiefs. They're almost happier in that situation than they are in a regular situation, right? It's actually works perfectly in there from their game plan. So you can't do the same thing, right? Getting ahead and then just running the clock out is not going to work against the Chiefs because they're going to go up and put up 28 points in five minutes because you just turn them into pass all the time. Um, So you have to do one of two things. Well, you have to essentially try and run the the ball out and, and chew clock, try and like minimize the amount of time they have the ball. But the problem is... If they're scoring every time they get the ball, you're going to need to score as well. And simply chewing up clock and moving is not going to do it. You're going to actually need to match them by putting up points. And that's probably not going to happen on the ground. So I want to I also want to cite Brian Burke from ESPN again. I think I mentioned it on the podcast a couple weeks ago. The games where it feels like the team ran the ball and kept the ball away from the, the other team. Right. The, so the Colts game earlier this year where the blueprint to beat the Chiefs came out, right? They won 16 to 10. They kept the ball away from Patrick Mahomes. In those games, there were some really, there were some key fourth down conversions, and there was like an element of that, but it still comes down to the defense. The pass defense has to step up. Mm -hmm. And so the Titans, the last two weeks, gave up 13 to New England, 
all in the first half against New England, shut him down in the second half, and then gave up 12 to the Ravens. Not because they, I mean, they gave up 500 yards of offense. Some of it was garbage timey, whatever. But they made stops when they needed to. The fourth downs, bunch of times the Ravens got stopped in Tennessee territory. So it came down to making stops more so than playing keep away. It's not like you can't steal four possessions with your run game. You can steal like maybe one or two. You can tighten up one or two possessions. You still have to stop the Chiefs Chiefs 8, 10, 12 times in this game. So it's still going to come down to slowing down the opposing offense. So I think Tannehill's going to make more. I said it last week, but this week for real, Tannehill's going to have to make a lot of plays if they're going to win. Right. This is interesting. Both games are interesting because they're rematches of games that have already taken place. Now, the Titans won the first game. I think the rematch component means little, though. It's interesting, it does, but I think it but means it's little. instructive in terms of, you know, we've seen this game already this yeah. season. Um, now, one of the big changes from the last time is that Cameron Irving no longer has to play left tackle for the Chiefs. Those are the types of things that I do think are interesting, like who yes. played, who didn't play, who was hurt, who wasn't, that type of that now, part. Isn't Cam Irving is one of the worst left tackles in the NFL if he has to play there, right? He was that one good game earlier in the year. He was by far the worst player in this game for Kansas City. Yeah. Eric Fisher is no like superstar, but, you know, we've talked for years about how offensive line play is just about how bad your weakest link is. When your weakest link is Cam Irving, it's a disaster. The chain is snapping in half and you're drowning at the bottom of the ocean with Eric Fisher there. The weak link is okay. You're fine. Right. So that completely transforms what this game looks like immediately. Fisher from, has crept back toward average right, throughout his career. From the Chiefs' offensive point of view, right? They, they no longer have that weak link, and the biggest problem they, they had on offense is not going to be a factor. Now, this game on the other side of the ball actually did go the way I've just been talking about, not necessarily helping, right? Derrick Henry ran right. He had like 180-plus yards, or yeah, 180-plus yards. The Chiefs' run defense was not good, and they were able to put up a bunch of points. They scored 35 and won the game. Um, but as we said, so it was like 35-33, and the Chiefs were hamstrung by that left tackle situation. If it happens again in exactly the same circumstance where you take away the weak link, now you're going to score 35, but the Chiefs are going to put up 50 because they've got a viable left tackle. There was also a point in this game that the Chiefs were up late. This was This was like a huge, what felt like a turning point game because the history of Ryan Tannehill was that, you know, he, he throws the ball pretty well, tight spiral, you can see it, you know, there's some stuff there. But he was always bad at, like, the situational stuff. Mm-hmm. Red zone, key third downs, the gritty stuff, right? This was, like, the grittiest of grit with Tannehill. Picking up big, big plays with his legs, leading the charge on a comeback. We hadn't always seen that in Tannehill's career. It was also one of the worst grades of his season. It was one of the worst. <laughs> Ultimately, it was one of the worst. But, you know, he threw for 181 and two touchdowns. But he, um, what did he do on the ground here? Um, that's what it was, seven, 37 yards on a couple scrambles and a couple designed design runs. Um, two 10-plus yard runs on first downs. One of them, you know, he did fumble in there, which hurt. That hurt the overall grade, but 83.6 running grade. Um, he fumbled in the pocket, was, which is one of the ones that hurt his, his pass grade. The, the the point I'm trying to make here is that coincided with the Chiefs not not playing their four-minute offense all that well, not running the ball out really well. Andy Reid getting a little conservative. So Andy Reid, every year, seems like he's at this crossroads of his career, right? We've led teams to multiple champions. How many championship games has he been to at this point? Four, 
with the Eagles, one with the Chiefs now. Is my, are there others in there? Yeah. He's been to so many championship yeah. games. He's been to one Super Bowl, never won the Super Bowl, right? So he's this whole coach who's never won the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And people always point to there's always like some clock management. It's a timeout here and there. It's a challenge here and there. It's running when you should have passed, passing when you should have run. So if the Chiefs are in this run it out situation again, and you have a healthy Mahomes now, and you have your left tackle in place, are they going to be able to run out the clock when they need to? Yeah. Which for them is probably running it out through the air, right? Running the clock out well, through yeah. the air. I mean, just doing what you keep doing. Right? Yeah. I think, so I think the big failing with these systems that can't run the ball, you know, run the clock out towards the end of the game is that they try. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you are so good because you're that efficient at the passing game which now has become like a 70% completion rate system, you know, like in league wide. It's becoming easy. So this is why I was, I was of the mind. Everybody says it's cyclical, right? I was talking to our friend, uh, my friend, Brian Perez, you know, bears fan slash draft guy, whatever. He's like the league's cyclical power football is coming back. And I used to think that I used to, they're going to spread it out. They're going to get smaller. Safeties are going to start playing linebackers. Boom. Here comes the fullback. Old school football is coming back, but it's not. Passing is just too efficient. It's it's too efficient for running to be more valuable than passing in today's NFL. So this is the thing, right? It, the idea was you get up big, you now need to chew the clock by just getting first downs, right? So the old way of thinking was you average four yards per carry on the ground, just keep running three of those and we get a first down and we keep we, over and over again until the game ends, right? On the other hand, passing has now become... 65 plus percent completion rate at yeah. seven plus yards per attempt, right? Screen game, so, the boot game, all that stuff I, has become more efficient. By the same math, right? Four times four yards per carry or three times four yards per carry. And we get another first down and we go again, like 65% completion at seven plus yards per attempt. You're moving the chains as well. So if that's what you do well, if your offense consistently dominates through the air, don't pivot and go, we got to run the ball out because there's eight minutes left and we're up by two scores. Go, no, we, I mean, we, we're up by two scores. Keep running the offense. It'll have the same effect. Don't go in the tank and try and do the thing that people think is how you chew the clock. If the run and shoot just kept going, it wouldn't be a problem that they couldn't run out the clock. Well, they would well, that, be running out the clock by passing. That goes back to the whole the defense can stop something if they want. I've heard this described about coordinators, too. Like We love to say this, this coordinator does this. Right. He's a zone guy. He's a cover three guy. He's a cover two guy. He's a zone running guy. Many offensive and defensive coordinators have done many different things throughout the years. They've run different systems, different schemes. They've adjusted. And I think the defense can also just say we're I mean, there's a reason why it's tough to run out the clock at the end of the game. Right. Because the defense is putting eight and nine men in the box. So, yeah, I think there's going to be something to that. If the Chiefs have a lead. Do you know, does Andy Reid continue to make the right decisions. He's right. under the microscope, you know, maybe more than ever. There's such a, just such an opportunity here with Mahomes on his first contract to steal a Super Bowl for the Chiefs. There are situations in football games where, so a lot of this stuff is, you know, the, the actual facts kind of go against your natural instinct of what you should be doing. And it's really hard to fight against those instincts and do the thing that you're supposed to do. And that's one of those situations where your natural instinct is, okay, we're up big. We run the ball out and we chew the clock, right? Mm -hmm. But it's the worst possible thing you can do because it's the thing they want you to do and the thing that they're prepared for you to do. 
the thing you should do is just keep doing what you're doing. And it just feels, it feels wrong. And I think so many coaches find it impossible to resist the urge to go to, you know, go to what they should be doing yeah. instead of just running what, what's working. It's like what we talked about with Bill O'Brien in Houston the other day. If it was a fourth and in inches in a seven to nothing game, Bill O'Brien's probably like, yeah, yeah, I feel good about that. But something about the scoreboard, they were up 21 to nothing. And he's like, oh, man, it's too risky. It's too risky. If I don't get it, you know, we might blow this 21 point lead. Let's get that extra three points mm-hmm. against the Chiefs. Right. You know, so that scoreboard dictated things a little bit. I think uh, Tennessee, on the other hand, now has to play the underdog role. Right. So I think the mistake they could make is to say, OK, the run game has gotten us here. We're the grinded out field position team. We're going to hold on to the ball, keep it away from the Chiefs and play field position and trust our defense, which our friends at the forecast are really triggering a ton of people by saying defense doesn't matter. The nuanced take on that is that I don't care how good your defense is. It's going to be dependent on how well Patrick Mahomes plays to determine how many points you give up. If Patrick Mahomes misses throws, right. And doesn't make good decisions. It's less about you and more about him. You cannot trust your defense against a good offense. Yeah. You can't trust them. You can't bank on it. Right. And the Chiefs more than anybody else. Again, they're in this situation where it's really hard to determine what the game plan should even be. Right. You you double team Tyree kill. He's the dangerous guy. Okay. Now Travis Kelsey's gashing you. Okay. You double team two guys. I mean, it's possible, but they did it last week. Like on the chalkboard. Yeah. Houston had a good game plan last So week. it's like, okay, now you're double teaming two guys, which is possible, but now Sammy Watkins is completely one-on-one with a bad defender. So that's a mismatch. Like, it's it's just very hard to come up with a game plan that's actually structurally sound in order to slow down this Chiefs offense. And I'm kind of torn on what the Titans should do on offense because I don't think that fundamentally you're going to be able to score enough points to keep up with the Chiefs by running the ball consistently on the other hand that is the best way of shortening the game and chewing up the clock which minimizes the amount of damage the chiefs can do from a time standpoint what if i describe it like this you want to get up early obviously and if you want to get it so you you got you have to put points on the board so you're going to do it through the passing game i would say you start to lean on the run game just a little bit later than you would against the ravens or against the patriots so by the second quarter the titans you know, they're up, they could, you know, mix in the run a little bit more. Third quarter, the run game was was a key for them. And then by the fourth quarter, they're they're running the clock out, right? With the Chiefs, you got to keep your foot on the gas longer and longer and longer. And, you know, I think I think the Titans' best case scenario is that all of this hype that Henry is getting does push the Chiefs to say, let's stop Derrick Henry. Mm-hmm. And that they put all their resources into doing it, and then you Open it up for Tannehill, who if you use the full eight-year sample size, it's not the most appealing thing. But if you use this year's sample size where he was the highest-graded just passer in the NFL, you need that guy, right? You need that guy to find A.J. Brown, to find Hall of Famer Corey Davis, John New Smith. And even in the playoffs when he hasn't, they have, they've lent on Derrick Henry and, and Tannehill has been largely a passenger. Hey, he's made some key plays in both games. Some really key plays. Absolutely. Patriots key third down conversion late in the game was vital. Yep. The reason they were up 14, nothing in the first place against the Ravens was two Tannehill touchdowns. One of which was a bomb deep down the middle of the field. 
as much as Derrick Henry has been the guy carrying this offense for most of those two games, Tannehill has made some key plays which have put points on the board. Like even in those games, which he has not been nearly as good as he was the rest of the season, he's still shown up more than, you know, Miami Tannehill has. Oh, absolutely. You know what's funny too? I think the Titans have done a good job of taking like Khalif Raymond has been this, you know, from Holy Cross, this undersized outside speed receiver who's essentially run a couple routes per game, right? I think he they, they're telegraphing how they're using him. He was the one who had the 45-yard touchdown last week. How many snaps did he play? Five? I love those guys. The Vikings did that with um, whoever they have. That He literally came in, played one snap. They threw a deep bomb to him, and he kind of dropped the ball. Should have caught it. And then that was it. That was his game. Raymond on the season has 10 catches for 215, two touchdowns. They did this against Indy a few weeks back, had a 40-yarder. So he's had games with a 52-yarder, a 40-yarder, a 30- or 23-yarder, and then 45. So he's had three 40-plus-yard plays on 13 targets, mm. right? This is where they, I like the strategy, but the Chiefs have to be ready for this. Like, dude, the guys are going to be on the field five times. Just have somebody sitting over the top. Just don't let this guy beat you on his five times. Alexander right? Hollins is the guy the Vikings had. Yeah, I mean, I, I like it as a strategy, but at some point it's like, all I'm right, gonna, now I'm we gonna, know. I'm just kind of fascinated by it as a strategy. It's like he goes out there, uh, one target, deep down the field, can't come in, can't come up with it. All right, sit on the bench. You're not coming back in. Well, I've always been fascinated by the speed guys, the the true deep threats that cannot ultimately become Tyreek Hill or Deshaun Jackson. We've talked about this before, right? Why couldn't the old school Raiders strategy of just get all the four three guys? Why didn't that work? What separates Deshaun Jackson and Troy um, Tyreek Hill? Did I say Troy earlier too? Tyreek Hill, um, you know, from the rest of these guys. And of course it's getting off press coverage and it's ball skills and all that stuff. But I love the concept of different style receivers, which is why I think my, I was telling you a few weeks ago, I would get rid of, you know, I'm running the team team building here. What if we cut down on special teamers and like a college team, you had seven wide receivers that are active and everybody had a Khalif Raymond also, undersized I, speed guy. How, those two things aren't mutually exclusive. You can have guys like how hard is being, how hard is playing coverage on special teams? Not that hard, especially now. Like nobody returns kicks anyway. I'm back and forth on it because like the best coaches have their incredible attention to detail and every play matters and all that <laughs> stuff. When we'd be like, eh, maybe, maybe five or six plays a game don't matter that much. Focus on the bigger well, ones. I mean, they matter, but how hard is it? How hard is it? Look, Cordell Patterson flames out as a wide receiver. He's like the best gunner in the league. Like. Ultimately, run down the field. I, I, it's get not off, that you hard. Gotta get off, you got to get off the uh, vice, though. Right. But you if, only need two of those guys. If you could beat a vice, you could beat a corner. You should be a deep threat. Why can't, what I'm saying. Why can't Patterson become a deep threat? Right. I mean, catching the ball at the end of it is the problem there. It is. Anyway, if you had seven receivers and you had a big-bodied red zone guy and you got the speed guy and you got possession guy and you got the all-around, just have different styles. Mm-hmm. Right? I would love that. So I liked the, you know, so keep an eye on number 14 when he's on the field play action deep shot and honestly that could be the difference in the game there could be just this one play where Tannehill overthrows him you know Javarius Ward's there and knocks the pass away it could be this one pass that it's either a touchdown or not and that's going to be a big factor in this game trying to steal touchdowns against the Chiefs and then of course just the chaos of playoff football where single random plays can change everything I mean (laughs) the Chiefs game last week had at least half a dozen just madcap crazy plays to change everything. 
fumbles on special teams both ways, drops on third down, the kill drives, all this kind of thing. Completely unpredictable stuff, right? And how do they how do they break in this game? Because oh, absolutely. I mean, that's you know they all broke against the Chiefs for like a quarter and a half, and then they swung back in their favor. What happens here? Because the Titans probably need a few of those plays to win. Patrick Mahomes has done a great job of taking care of the football. We should talk more Chiefs now. There's a lot of Titans driven. But I think so much of it is like, what are the Titans? Like, what are they getting into here? I don't think they're a true six seed. No. They're a team that started two and four. That's right. why so, they're the six seed. They're the a legitimate team in the AFC. This isn't like a right. everyone talks Cinderella about, run. Yeah, everyone talks about the Titans as like a 500 team or, you know, just there or thereabouts. But when you consider... That the Mariota run got them two and four. The Tannehill run puts them way above that. Like they're a much better team seven than that. three. There you go. The, yeah. the Tannehill they're run. They're a seven hundred team. Right. Which I don't know. What does that extrapolate it out with an extra six games? Come on, you're the math guy. I mean, between the two of us, obviously compared to the actual math guy. I mean, it's like, not. you know, it's like ten and a half and five and a half, something like that. Right. So they're better than yeah, that. Yeah, they're a ten and a half and five and a half team. There you go. That's what they are. Yeah, so they're, just, they're, they're playing they're like a ten and a half, five and a half team. That's right. what the Titans are. <laughs> they're playing like a ten. They're and not half. a nine and a seven team. They're no. a ten and a half team. They're playing like a ten and a half team. Ten and a half win team. This is the way, yeah, yeah. They're not an eleven win team. Like like a ten and two thirds win team. That's what they are, right? Right. That's what the Titans. Not a nine win team. No, they, I, they're a nine win team with Mariota playing thirty eight yeah. percent of the games. I That's mean, what he started thirty seven point five percent of the games. Six right. of them for the Chiefs. It's interesting because. Home field advantage for them is huge. You know, Arrowhead is a legit home field advantage. Um, two, like this offense is terrifying. Of course. I mean, we last week was the greatest example of what it can do. And it's it's been what's missing for a lot of the season because Mahomes has been so banged up. You know, ankle, dislocated kneecap, um, hurt hand, hurt ribs. Like the dude has been battling through a lot. The fact that he had a week to rest up before the playoffs, I think, is huge. Him now being 100%, we're seeing the crazy things that he can do again. You know, you just you look I at think those. we're seeing the simple things that he could do. That's been the difference this year. Simple. So it's not, again, those two things are not necessarily mutually exclusive. He does some incredible simple things. Like the touchdown where he was rolling out to his left and almost crossed the line of scrimmage and just finds the gap. Oh, I don't think that's Travis simple. Kelsey. I don't think that's simple. I mean, I think it's it was a relatively simple play right it was incredible because not many people make it and but his ability to basically keep navigating and find a small hole in between six defenders is nuts oh i get it well, yeah, you only have to like dink a ball five yards to score a touchdown this is the number that that really gets me and the reason why the chief uh, why mahomes grade was down a little bit this year and the chief's offense was really explosive but not as explosive as last year his negatively graded throws went up four percent this year that was much higher throughout the year. So he's tightened it up uh, in recent weeks. That's the second highest increase in the NFL this year, other than Matthew Stafford. Stafford had the highest increase, but that coincided with the biggest increase outside of Tannehill and positives and big time throws and all that stuff. Stafford's was because of a scheme change. He started to throw the ball four yards per target per throw further down the field. So you're going to get more negatives. Mahomes, same system. But again, I think the thing that made him special last year, special plays, made the routine stuff, right? He's making the routine stuff right now. So I was doing Tennessee radio today. It's like, how do you stop Mahomes? I'm like, you know, it really is like the whole Brady Breeze, Rogers, these top guys in their prime. There's no blueprint. There's no game plan. You just hope that they, you hope you cloud their judgment enough. You compress the pocket enough. 
that they miss. And that's teams that have shut down the Chiefs. Shut down the Chiefs. Like the Lions did a decent job. The Colts did a decent job. Mahomes missed a lot of throws. He just missed more throws in those games. You can't, like the game plan can't be like, hey, we. We're going to hope Mahomes misses 5% more throws in this game. I mean, he's back, he's back to that level where I don't know what you should do. You know what I mean? Like, he's one of those, he's one of a very select group of quarterbacks over the last decade where I don't know what the game plan should even be heading into the game to stop them because they're good at everything. They kill you in oh, yeah. every possible way, and there's no, there's nothing you can do to even necessarily tilt the odds in your favor you like at least with a brady even brady at his mercurial best not mercurial even brady at his incredible best right you at least knew what game plan took a percentage off it right you play man coverage you keep you know you, there's things you can do you rush for really right, really effectively to at least you know at least give you a chance a better chance of winning with mahomes there's nothing you can do because he's good at all of the things so no matter what you line up and try and do, he's still perfectly capable of dissecting it and killing you. And that causes problems because, you know, it's one thing having to execute your game plan in order to win. It's another thing entirely having no earthly idea where to even begin with a game plan. I, I think their best bet, I mean, yeah, you can't really bank on your defense week over week, but you're hoping I think, again, the Titans are way more capable than the Texans in their secondary. Mm-hmm. The Titans... I, Tremaine Brock has been playing well. We've talked about him. Adoree Jackson back there. Logan Ryan. They at least have these guys to potentially match up. Are we going to see Adoree Jackson, Tyreek Hill, some tracking, some you know safety leaning and all that stuff? I think we're going to see similar game plans. Again, I don't think the chalkboard game plan for the Texans last week was bad. Double the best guys, make the other guys beat you. I think we'll see more of that from the Titans. A lot of man coverage. You phantom pressure up front to try to create some indecision, and you hope you can cover on the back end. The Titans have a better shot. Of doing that, and I think the goal is compress the pocket. Don't let them get outside because it, uh, you know, affects your coverage, compromises the way they can stick with receivers, and you know, you kind of hope for the best with with those guys in the secondary. Mm-hmm. And that's your best bet. Yeah, Are we done uh, with this game. Yeah. Okay. Where you All going? that said, Chiefs. I'm taking the Chiefs. Yeah. I think I wouldn't be surprised if the Titans pulled this one off. What an insane run this would be if they yeah. got to the Super Bowl. They're kind of fun. I mean, people like underdog stories in general. Tannehill going from last year was not a good depiction of how he's played through the years, but he was the lowest rated quarterback that we've had. I'm here for it just for Derrick Henry earning himself the Joe Flacco contract, but at running back. Yeah, and people like a year from now being like, man, I can't believe this Derrick Henry contract hasn't been worth it. Yeah. Who could have seen this coming? Uh-huh. I'm, I'm, I'm all for it. Is my shirt glowing probably. again today? It's not white, so you're probably okay. It's got some white in it. Sure, but th- that's not the problem. It's, Boy, does it it's fit pure well. white does that it causes just the problems. Stephen Nelson, one of our buddies, um, commenters here, said we look good. Stephen look- Nelson, the cornerback? He's in the YouTube comments? I think is it Stephen? Oh, Stephen Elliott. Sorry, not Stephen Nelson. Not the cornerback, Stephen Nelson. Because, I mean, look, he does converse with us every now and again, but taken to the YouTube comments would Let's be not discuss who converses. It's okay with us. We can say talks to us. I'm officially taking the Chiefs. Same, and you are as well. Yes, but I'm not going to be surprised either way. No, I certainly did. I anybody have... buy your services? By the way, 
I didn't have bids weren't high enough. The offers weren't great, to be honest. One guy, I can't remember what the offer was, but it was out on Twitter. It wasn't the best offer in the world, to be honest. Look, you're trying to buy flights to Ireland for the family and stuff like you need some like we some need some yeah, we need some here. significant offers to come in for me to make use of this jinx. Um that's a nice shirt that you just you rolled the sleeves up. Thanks, you have a Steve. lot of style. Yours is nice as well. Thank you. It's all from proper cloth, propercloth.com. Slash PFF is where you can get $20 off your first custom fitting shirt. The very best in custom fit menswear. Yes. Propercloth.com slash PFF. The promo code is PFF 20. Tell the folks how awesome your shirts are. Well, in your cool style. If you are even vaguely outside of the perfect normal mannequin range of, you know, small, medium and large or whatever the, the sizes actually are which is most people, frankly, right? Like, obviously, you are quite dramatically outside of the normal range of I am. sizes, right? So you need, for them. you need all kinds of custom tailor work done. Me, I'm a lot closer. But even me, if I try and buy a shirt that's just off the peg, I'm going to have sleeves that cut off halfway down my arms. You know, I have long arms for my size, so I need some work done. Proper cloth, you can basically tweak any possible size of your shirt. You could loosen up the pits because apparently tight pits are where you struggle. I do. So it affects you could, the, uh, you the circulation, the air circulation. Yeah. yeah. Sweat so a you, little bit. You get everything. the old loose pits in the, the proper yeah. cloth shirt. And suddenly that extra watch space. all those problems are gone. Yeah. It's great. I've got all sorts of different shirts. I got some ones that I put on. I have some for suits. Mm-hmm. I have some that I wear on the podcast here. I got my lavender one, which I was really excited about. I needed a lavender shirt. So yeah, you can go all the way from like hyper casual cactuses on them. Cacti. Cacti even. Um, all the way to, you know, fancy formal dinner shirts and that kind of thing. And this is the way men shop these days, right? It's simple. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to go anywhere. You're on your computer. You put in your measurements. You don't have to once, be judged by those people in the uh, the fitting rooms to the, look at you. And like, once you get the first shirt to fit, it's then it's just like a click away. Bump. Steve's business cash saved. And, and I'm good. They you can like go back and forth with them to get it to fit. Right. You don't have to like take a guess at it. Get back and like, oh, that didn't really. No, work. it's going to fit perfectly. Right. They guarantee it. You can go back and forth, get it dialed in, and then you're boom. Then you're sorted. Proper cloth has been featured in many top publications such as New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Esquire. Esquire, GQ and Fast Company, GQ even calls them their new favorite online custom shirt maker. I did not know that GQ said that until I got these notes. That's great. Good for GQ. They're right on because proper cloth. They're the best. Propercloth.com slash PFF. PFF 20 will get you $20 off your first shirt. That is propercloth.com slash PFF. You can pause. Go make the shirt and then come back. Pause, buy the shirt. Send us a picture of what you bought. Please send us a picture of what you get. And then from a shirt standpoint. Listen to the pod again. So speaking of sponsors, real quick, we cannot give away because I'm seeing it on the website. We cannot give away what was sent to us because I don't even know if it's to the public yet. Okay. But our friends at Manscaped have some things going on. I mean, things are moving in a positive direction (laughs) over there. I think I assume we're going to have more. In the coming weeks. Game-changing things are afoot. But don't forget about Manscapes.com as well. And our friends over there. Can we get to some uh, critical news? Yes. So, LSU wins the national title game. This is not critical. It is. LSU wins the national title game. Joe Burrow balls out. He is the presumptive number one overall pick. To this hometown Cincinnati oh, this Bengals. Is, okay, I thought you were going the other way with it. No, this no, is no. big news. Hometown Cincinnati Bengals gets Joe Burrow. Local boy. Former Ohio State quarterback, right? Yes. Now, 
it seems like he will be the obvious pick, but he has a tweet from the 20th of February, 2018, that simply says, just a reminder that Skyline is terrible. That is all. Skyline Chili being Cincinnati's hometown food thing. And Joe's from Ohio, not Cincinnati, he's from Southeast Ohio. He's got experience with Skyline. Yes. The PFF Slack channel that contains everybody that works here at the office is up in arms right now. There are many Cincinnatians in the chat right now, very upset with Joe Burrow. Okay. Like now they're, they're ready to pass on in his defense. He's a hundred percent right. Oh, he's absolutely right. I am not a Cincinnatian. I am not proud of skyline for a start for a start. It should not be allowed to be called chili because it isn't. It's some sort of like bootleg pasta. (laughs) I don't know what it is, but it's not chili. They tell you, you got to get it the, the five way or whatever. You're not getting it the Three right way, way Sam. Three, Three way. way. Yeah. You're not getting it the right way. What, 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 what is the right way? The right way. I'm sorry, Patrick. And I'm sorry, Kenny. Guys that are complaining. There is no right way to get Skyline. We may have lost Skyline as a sponsor. <laughs> Probably. Um, so here's the thing. I right? stand with Joe. It, not only. So if it was just chili put on spaghetti, we could talk, right? It would still be a mistake, but we could at least have a discussion. Yeah. The thing that they put on the spaghetti is not chili. I don't know what it is, but it tastes like the kind of crappy school curries that we used to get in the canteen, like a vat of stuff that like they make for school children. It's kind of like canned meat sauce, right? <laughs> but it doesn't taste. It doesn't taste like it's not like marinara. It's like there's curry flavors in there. It's somewhere. It's something unique. That doesn't belong yeah. on pasta or rice or, in fact, anything. We told the story before. We went to the you know the Bengals game a couple years ago, yeah. the press box. They get the pregame spread, and it's great. It's like prime rib, and they got all this great stuff. And right? halftime comes. And then at halftime, it's kind of like. It's like wet wieners. And it's kind of like. <laughs> everybody in Cincinnati is so proud of it. It's like, I know you guys had that pregame meal, but yeah. our pride and joy is out here for halftime. Right. It's Skyline Chili. So look. And people are like, I don't get it. Joe Burrow is probably going to take some crap for that, but he's right. Listen, I, the, we, one, the one thing I will say about Skyline, right, is that at least it isn't Gold Star, which is <laughs> which, as far as I can tell, is Skyline. And they found a way of making it worse, which is to lob chunks of raw onion in there. Oh, gosh. So we uh, we're really good at creating taglines. So Skyline, at least we're not Gold Star. At least we're not Gold Star. Right. That needs to be a shirt. Get, get Mike on the shirt here. Look, there are marketing professionals I, pay a lot of money for this stuff. I had some friends going to Skyline a few weeks back, brought the kids. The overall experience wasn't bad. Like I got like a wrap or something. Like there's some stuff there that wasn't bad. But the, pro, you know, their pride and joy is <laughs> it's not great. Oh. <laughs> uh, Alex is bad. The entire second floor of the PFF building is just up in arms right now. Look, I look native local, Cincinnatians. They're not going to do any work. Everybody has their local food custom, right? Yeah. But this was just a mistake. This was an error in judgment that should have been fixed a long time ago. Once you got exposed to real food. Yeah. And it hasn't been. It's been allowed to, you know, I'm more worried that like there's nothing else that stepped up. That's what I mean. There's nothing else that stepped up in Cincinnati for you to be proud of. Like Montgomery Inn, they got some great ribs. That's a nice place. Graters, they make good ice cream. It's, it's good. 
It's reasonable. It's good. Well, look, I reasonable F for my ice cream here. Reasonable ice cream is about fifty-eight steps ahead of Skyline a, Chili. I came from a place with good ice cream. Yeah, yeah, but all right. Let's say it's below average ice cream, right? Below average ice cream is about fifty-two steps ahead of Skyline Chili, um, which in of, and of itself is ten steps ahead of Gold Star Chili. Ahead of uh, made-up chili with meat sauce. Yes, and cheese. They lump like a. They lump like this mountain of cold grated cheese over the top of it what do you like who? maybe maybe don't speak until you get a three-way sam i think that is the three-way let's go try we should try it on the podcast no we should just to really i tried it once i tried it years because ago. it's like you come over in cincinnati this is the thing it's skyline have it tried it once it will never be entering my digestive system again ian parks wants us to get back to the uh to the game previews well he can come over here and make us yeah come on over ian now that you're back, back in England. So that's it. Um, Joe Burrow, not endearing himself to. Uh, no, the Cincinnatians. Cincinnatians. What do you call those people? Locals. The PFF. The entire IT team wants no part of Joe Burrow here in Cincinnati. But we practice radical candor here. And if you can't be truthful and tell the truth about about things, then, you know. Well, look, if you what think are that you? that stuff tastes good, then I, like, I can't fix that. I can't help you. You're beyond help. You are. You ready to get to the NFC? Yeah. Oh, hang on. Wait, one more. One more little final final bow on this thing, right? <laughs> so, I was thinking the other day about how, um, you know, like in, you know, sci-fi things, you get to the stage where everyone's in space. And at this point, we've, we've evolved beyond like, you know, steaks and eggs, right? We're just eating protein. We're just eating nutrients. You're going to piss right? them off even more, aren't I know. you? It's just like a bar, right? Or a, a bowl of slop, right? But this is everything your body needs. So don't worry about what it is. Just consume it, right? Austin has taken to eating meals that's like this, where it's just two bowls of slop mixed together. But it's like all the protein and nutrients and vegetable matter that he needs. It's just in a, in a form that I don't know why humanity would voluntarily accept, right? It's basically what Skyline is. I mean, it might be everything your body needs, but it's put in a form that has no business going into your mouth. Oh, God. At least, we we're go. not gold star. <laughs> At least we're not gold star. The <laughs> NFC Championship is also a rematch. And the line seven, seven and a half. Fascinating one here, right? We've had people going back and forth on the Packers. They're the worst 13 and three team. And, you know, they're, they just kind of like grind it out as far as wins. They have Aaron Rodgers, who's been uh, not as good as he's been in the past, but he's coming off this incredible yeah, game. Except last week. You said you know 2011 Rodgers isn't coming back. Mm-hmm. Looks a little bit like it's not been a great run for my predictions over the last few. No, weeks. No, you've been terrible. Yeah, you've been terrible. Um, but anyway, I think the the point here, everybody's remembering the Sunday night game where the Niners just destroyed the Packers. Mm. Wasn't even close. No. And it was one of two or three games where the Packers just looked completely inept on offense. Completely inept. One of the worst offensive performances of the season. They just couldn't do anything. So I think that is fresh in people's mind, how dominant the 49ers were in that game, how inept the Packers were. So how much bearing does that have now on the rematch? That was the worst grade we've ever given Aaron Rodgers in a game. Um, That's probably not happening again. Now that doesn't mean we'll get the guy we got last week, which is vintage Aaron Rodgers coming back. But you know, when Rodgers plays the worst game he's ever played in his NFL career, that's going to make it tricky to beat arguably the best team in the NFL. So anything north of that puts the Packers incrementally closer, right? 
The other thing that's intriguing to me is that it's a seven, seven and a half point game that gets eradicated immediately with one mistake from the 49ers, right? Jimmy G from Jimmy Garoppolo. I want to get, cause you, you wrote up something on Jimmy Garoppolo, which I think was fascinating. Dug into the numbers you had. This is the one time you were right. You're like, I right. think this thing was true. Let me dig into PFF ultimate powered by AWS. Our friends over there, AWS cloud. Let me see if it backs things up and you dig in really deep and you found it, which I think was great. I want to get to that in a second though. Mm-hmm. The Packers offense, you mentioned Rogers 37.9 grade in that last game. I thought last week, it was the Devontae Adams show lined up in multiple places, was open left and right all over the place, right? And then they did a pretty good job of scheming things up. Like throughout the year, they've schemed up Jimmy Graham, who's big and slow now. They've schemed up Aaron Jones out of the backfield. I don't see a situation where they can do that effectively against the Niners. I think the Niners are just, you know, Jimmy Ward flying in from the secondary. You got Richard Sherman on the on the outside. I think this has to go through Devontae Adams. Mm-hmm. They held him to seven catches for 43 yards in the first matchup. If they do that again, I'm going to pull a Sam. And if they do that, I don't see a way that the Packers can win right. unless the Rodgers-Adams connection is just elite again. And it was hugely down to Rodgers, just worst game ever, right? Because, again, Richard Sherman's great and, you know, best-graded cornerback or whatever this season, back to his very best. But you know he's going to play one side of the field. If you want to get Devontae Adams away from Richard Sherman, just don't line him up at right wide receiver and you're good. So they did. I actually did that last uh, last time they played. He spent most of his time against Akella Witherspoon. Witherspoon, remember, who got roasted by multiple different Vikings receivers and then got benched after like 10 snaps, right? Yeah. If you get Devontae Adams against Witherspoon, now I don't think Witherspoon's even going to play in this game because he got benched. I, you know, but if you get Devontae Adams against a non-Richard Sherman cornerback, it should be a massive mismatch in your favor. And you can dictate that every single snap if you want to do it. So I suspect they will manufacture that matchup again, and they'll be way more successful than one catch for seven yards against Witherspoon this time. It's not a massive mismatch. I mean, it's it like really is. Kwan Williams is pretty good in the slot. And yeah, but pretty good against elite is a massive mismatch. It's also not all man coverage across the board. It's, you know, zone heavy concepts and all that stuff. And, I, you know, look, the Packers have been really good early in games, uh, scripting up the first 15 and being efficient there. But I think that they just have to be on point offensively throughout this game. You know, when when you do have a light box to run the ball, Aaron Jones taking advantage of that. I mean, I just think they just have to be really good. Rodgers has to work the middle of the field, those deep crossers and all those passes that he hasn't made the last couple of years. Here's the other aspect. People talk about, well, when he went to California, he struggled. Those are the two games where they just didn't show up. No showed against the Chargers and against uh, the 49ers. The real thing that is consistent there is not so much the fact that it happened in the state of California. It's that they run that same cover one, cover three Seattle scheme, which Seattle themselves have gotten away from a little bit. They played some, you know, they played a lot of different stuff, but the Niners and chargers, they play it old school style. The way you beat that is the deep crossers behind the linebackers and all that stuff. And those are the passes that Rogers hasn't wanted to make the last couple of years. He's got to, he's got to attack the intermediate deep middle of the field. And those areas that, uh, that defense is weak. In the last four years, which is as far as I reach before you stopped talking and I had to start talking, um, Team. the first game against the 49ers this season is the most total pressures David Bakhtiari has given up in a game. 
Now that it's was tied for the most. Yeah. And the other two times it's happened are against the Vikings. Uh, but like he gave up a lot of pressure in that first game. That is a really good one-on-one matchup. Back to Yari against Nick Bosa. Um, Nick, not just Nick Bosa, but that entire defensive line for the 49ers obviously has been getting a ton of pressure. Getting D Ford back for them makes a difference and just gives them one more edge rusher. And anytime, you know, basically they've the, moved him around too. They've put right. him over the guards and you know, they having, having those multiple options up front has been a huge difference. The more the merrier. I mean, it gives them a chance to actually, you know, rotate the bodies and keep everybody fresh. Right. So last week against the Vikings, Nobody played on the defensive uh, line more than 35 snaps. So they got like, what, 11 snaps essentially to rotate in and out and keep people fresh. So I think that's huge. The, you know, Rogers was responsible for some pressure last time. That's going to be the case again because that's the style of quarterback he is. But if Rogers takes himself a step forward, that battle between one of the best pass blocking lines in the NFL and one of the best pass rushing teams in the NFL is a really interesting one to watch. The Packers tried to hit the Niners with play action in that first matchup. They tried 34% of Rogers dropbacks. He only averaged four yards per attempt. And again, that's not always hand. There's some drops, whatever it is, right? But only four yards per attempt on play action. And that was another huge factor where, again, you got to get those linebackers moving, right? They're aggressive. They fly to the ball. You want to get that entire, it's the linebackers and it's the strong safety that play that underneath zone. The best offenses get them moving, right? The, you know, the curl flat defenders, they like to, they, they have to sprint out to the flat. So the way you beat them is you get the ball into the hands of playmakers, let them force a missed tackle. Once you get them widening, you get the crossers going back behind them, behind the guys. It, it's just this, it's just got to be this really well-run offense, Right where each play is building off the next one. You get the linebackers moving side to side, get a safety to bite every now and again to create a big play. Um, Rogers also admittedly just avoid Sherman throughout the years. I mean, he Mm. legitimately eliminates that side of the field, right? Now I don't think that's, I don't think it's that big of a deal because when you're facing a team that's going to play mostly zone, you don't think Sherman's going to attract Devontae Adams? He probably won't. It would be interesting if he does. It'd be a great matchup if he does. But if he doesn't, you you can go empty. You throw Aaron Jones out there. You can throw Jimmy Graham out there, and just work everywhere else. It's not that big of a deal, I think, to avoid a corner. It's not losing half the field. It's losing quarter of the field. Well, so it, if you use it, if you do it the right way, if you're not, you don't have to line up Devontae Adams across from Richard Sherman. You don't have to. You can move him anywhere else. I think you shouldn't. I think you should move him somewhere else. He's the best cornerback potentially in the league, certainly on the field. So why would you line your best receiver up against him? It's just, it's just not smart. But the, the interesting thing is, so there's a bunch of different ways you can do that, right? Now, you can, you can line up one guy over there, right? Somebody you don't care about. Shift everything else to the other side of the field. Now you're working on half the field. Or you can load up his side of the field, just move your guy into the slot. There's a whole different... You've got 53 yards of width to play with, right? Right. Potentially five different eligible receivers to mess around with, only one of which you're losing to Richard Sherman. So there's a whole bunch of different ways you can creatively or strategically take advantage of the fact that you know where he's going to line up basically every single play. And then the flip side of that is on defense, there's a couple of different things you can do when you know that's what's happening, right? 
And this is what, when I spoke to Richard Sherman for an article I wrote about him, what, what he talked about, right, is just because I don't track receivers doesn't mean like I'm not having an impact on the rest of the defense, right? I might stay on one side of the field, but if every if they're running like trips left, there's one guy on my side, I'm matched up in man coverage way more than a guy who's tracking a cornerback is because he's probably got a safety over the top. I'm on an island on the back side. They're going to lean the coverage to the trip side. Like I'm literally on an island one-on-one with no help. Yeah. So I'm playing more man coverage than the guys we think are playing man coverage tracking and they're playing two man with safeties over the top and all this kind of stuff. Right? Oh, a big part of this whole defense is to lock the backside. Right. And Sherman's been great at that. You lean the safety and yeah, you're getting, there's so an advantage. There. If you take advantage of the fact that that's happening, you can lean your coverage away from him and give help to the other side. It's like, you know, what we talked about with before with sort of what the Patriots do with theirs, right? You bracket somebody and leave the guy with the second best corner. There's a bunch of different things you can do, whether it's tracking number ones, tracking number twos, just playing one side of the field and using the advantage that gives you to a lean co- coverage away. That sort of chess match, chess match with what happens with Richard Sherman is pretty fascinating on both sides of the ball. Yeah, I think if we're, I always like to say, if we're talking about a win for the Packers, on Monday morning, I think we're going we're gonna to talk about something schematically where they did a really nice job of freeing up Adams or, you know, they did find a way to get Jimmy Graham or whoever else, Aaron Jones or someone else in space to create some plays. Um, or Aaron Jones just had a ridiculous game running the ball for 200 yards. Um, but, yeah, that should be a great matchup. Let's go to the other side of the ball. 49ers have won a variety of ways this mm-hmm. year. Their run game, as we said on Monday, very unique. Outside zone, gap, they can do it all. They use Debo Samuel in creative ways, end arounds. You always have to account for where rookie wide receiver Debo Samuel is. You always have to account for George Kittle. And all that said, as you wrote this week, Jimmy Garoppolo and those linebackers, does he have a blind spot? Could this be one of the difference makers for the Packers? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. He always gave me the impression of a quarterback that just doesn't see linebackers. And I've thought for a while now that there are some QBs for whom this is just a trait. Um, And it's not necessarily saying they're bad quarterbacks. Like Tony Romo, I think his biggest failing was this, right? Whenever Tony Romo made a bad mistake and threw an interception, it was almost always to a linebacker that you're like, how did you not see that guy? Like he was there the whole way. What the hell happened? By the way, we got a pour one out for Luke Keekley. Oh, yeah. We're Speaking talking. of linebackers, the Tony Romo hit. Yeah. Can we go on that quick? All right. Yeah. Luke Eakley. Renner said best linebacker game he ever saw Thanksgiving against the Cowboys. I'm with him. The best play I ever saw. I've described it on the pod many times. But you know how usually the quarterback gets the last check, mm-hmm. right? Or if he doesn't, you know, the defense just gets into some sort of base coverage and that's it. This was like Romo's at the line. He checks, Keekley checks, and then Romo checks one more time. And then Keekley made one last check on this one particular play. And then he robs the middle of the field in cover two and picks six against Romo. It was one of the best pure linebacker plays I've ever seen. Because usually it's just like, okay, he checked. Let's go to some base coverage. And, you know, the, the quarterback just finds the open man or whatever. This was incredible. Thanksgiving 2015. Romo wasn't playing all that well, but... He just like outsmarted Romo at the line of scrimmage. Not only got to the right coverage, he was the one who made the play, ended up being a pick six. Luke Keekley was amazing. There's a few different crazy plays from Keekley. One, 
So you got Julio'd slash Moss on the play. But you remember that deep touchdown to Julio Jones? The fact that it's Luke Keekley, the middle linebacker, Running with like 45 him. yards yes. downfield, and a jump ball with Julio Jones is in and of itself insane. He's also one of the few linebackers. You can probably still count on one hand the number who have done this in the NFL, who have made the play on the deep crossing against cover three that nobody makes because right. it's almost impossible. He's made one of those plays. Um, there's also the sideline play. Yeah. On cover two. Right. Like you're not supposed to be there. No. I mean, he, so he was so good in coverage that he legitimately changed the zones, right? There's, there's a sort of general principle that quarterbacks deal with of, all right, I know broadly what coverage they're playing. I therefore know more or less where everybody's going to be. Right. So with this route working against this coverage, I have a, a rough circle of zone to hit. Keekly changes the size of those zones, right? Because A, he's got better range than most players. But B, he's got that Richard Sherman thing where he's done so much study and tape work that he anticipates and reads better than you do as well, right? So he knows what's coming, which gives him even further head start to change those all those zones and that kind of thing. So he's, the one number I think works quite well, a lot of coverage numbers for players that aren't cornerbacks are kind of tricky because those guys are not necessarily in primary coverage all the time and blah, blah, blah. Right. But one number that does, I think do quite a nice job is just basic passer rating into a linebackers coverage. Right. Cause linebackers, if you know what the baseline is, right. Which is what well, I'm about to tell people. So, you know, okay, good. About you shut tell up us about the baselines. Um, Whoa. You know, linebackers are targeted a lot. Just tell me to shut up. Yeah. Okay. Um, and they're going to give up a lot of plays because a lot of it is underneath. It's sort of designed to give that up rather than the 50 yard touchdown deep down the field. So the average linebacker, when they're targeted, gives up a pass rating of like 105, right? It's high. It's higher than average because they're giving up a lot of those plays. Keekly is always consistently fairly well below that, right? For his entire career, he's given up a pass rating of like 86. So like 20 points lower than the average NFL linebacker at any given time for his entire career. Right. At some like some years, he's been way below it. Yeah. At that sample size, there's something to it. Right. I mean, so and this year, what I really liked and this is going to piss people right off. <laughs> what I really liked is that I is putting quarterbacks to that range. So this year, it's the 2019 equivalent of turning Patrick Mahomes into Daniel Jones. Oh, yeah. It's also the equivalent of had to mention Daniel Jones, Patrick again. Mahomes into Josh Allen. But I recognize the Bills fans might not get the distinction between those two. <laughs> Giants fans won't get it either. <laughs> By the way, I, I wrote up all the rookie quarterbacks in very fair fashion at PFF.com. Well, that doesn't seem like If you have edge or elite, you can read it. But it was very fair. What went well, what didn't go well, some numbers behind it, all that stuff. Anyway, we'll pour one out officially for Luke Keekley the same way we did for Joe Thomas. We only do that for future Hall so of Famers. It's interesting. I don't know if this is just because he's, you know, a local guy originally and what there seemed to be a lot of people that had like one-on-one personal stories about Luke yeah. Keekley compared with the normal average NFL player that retires. Um, we met him at the training camp tour a couple of years ago. Really nice guy. Our buddy Jack Farrell played against him back in college. Yeah. He went to school with Trey. Yeah. You know, another guy that, right. that worked Renner for Renner played uh, whatever that game is against him. Cornhole. There you go. Renner played that against him. Yeah. Thanks, Luke. Thanks, Luke, for all your... Uh, by the way, I found out in yeah. researching for a little retirement 
article I wrote about him, what his like concussion collar thing is supposed to do. Yeah. So like my fighting necklaces. I think it might be worse than that. I was a double fighting you guy. You know what point. that thing is designed to do? No. It is. So it apparently compresses on your jugular vein, mm. which essentially pools the blood in your head in an attempt to create essentially an airbag of blood when you get your skull rattled around. Now, I'm not a doctor, but your parents are. That seems like pretty sketchy science to me. Like the, yeah. One of the things I know from my scientific background is that one of the differences between air in a bag, say, like, like you get in a car, and liquids is they don't compress like that. That's why hydraulics work. I, um, so I'm not sure you want to be surrounding your brain with an uncompressible liquid like that. Do you ever really want to pull blood anywhere? I mean, I wouldn't personally anyway, but that's what it's designed to do is to essentially squeeze your jugular to the point where all the blood rush pools in your head. Let's get you. You, you don't bring, get cussed. We can't have like a slight divergence because you just take it too far. You just take it one step too far. You're the one that brought up geekly. I did. I was, I don't even know where I was. Can I ask I our fans? I need to ask our listeners a quick question though. Oh God. If we had a live show oh, yeah. at the NFL combine in Indianapolis, would you attend? We need a hashtag. What's the hashtag we can get people to send us? PFF live. Hashtag PFF live. Hashtag PFF live. Tweet us and tell us if you would show up to that. So listen, here's the deal. All these other podcasts that have millions of listeners like we do, they all do live shows. They're like on tour. Mm -hmm. It's like they have like their own tour bus and it's like a whole thing. To sweeten the deal, it will likely be in a drinking establishment of some kind. Yeah, we'll find out. We're going to find a local brewery. It will likely involve. I've already got my people. Okay. It will likely involve some significant stars of some kind. You know, players, Chris, us, obviously. Us, um, maybe. Possibly a PFF championship belt and some prizes. You know, yeah, I think we'll, some PFF we'll get some merch. gear. We'll get right. some gear and some merch. And There's all a lot of stuff. reasons for you to show up to this thing. So I don't know if, if fans travel to the combine and they're looking for things to do. That might be one. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the folks in Indianapolis, we have, you know, a bunch of listeners in Indy. In that, in, in that surrounding area. Or if you're like us from Cincinnati or you're in Cleveland or you're somewhere, you know, surrounding, you know, driving distance, not saying you would drive for us, but drive and make like a little experience about, uh, out of it leading up to combine week. So hit us up, hashtag PFF live and say like, yeah, I'm interested in that. Or, you know, I would go if you came to my area. We're just trying to feel this thing out. Mm-hmm. If we did kind of like the PFF NFL show uh, on tour. Yeah. A little bit. Hashtag you know, PFF live, live. Tweet us and tell us if you would show up. So let's check it out. Let's get back to the game. What so were we talking about? Jimmy Garoppolo can't the ball see linebackers. That's Luke Keekley. He doesn't see linebackers and we have some numbers to prove it. Yes. So as I said, it doesn't necessarily mean you're a bad player because Tony Romo always had that issue, right? That, and there's certain quarterbacks who, when they make mistakes, that's the kind of mistake they're making. And I've never really understood what it is that creates that. I've just always noticed certain quarterbacks have that in them, right? And so then, all right, you notice this, but we know that your eyes deceive you all the time. Numbers lie, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, well, let's see if the data even backs this up or if I'm just complete, you know, talking crap. Yeah. So I dove into the database and, you know, you did some some filtering, changed some things. So let's take out all passes behind the line of scrimmage because, you know, then let's take out all deep passes because most of the time those aren't linebacker things. So we're working from the line of scrimmage to the 20 yard line targeting linebackers when Jimmy Garoppolo targets linebackers 
his turnover-worthy play rate spikes to almost 7%, which is insane, right? That's a huge number. Yeah. That's like the mo- that's one of the most turnover-worthy play quarterbacks in the entire NFL, right? Yeah. When he's targeting all other positions, non-linebacker positions, his passer rate or his uh, turnover-worthy play rate is way smaller, right? And actually below average. Now, what's really fascinating, so first point, data point, backs that up, right? When he's targeting linebackers, more mistakes. Second data point that's interesting is the average NFL quarterback, that relationship is actually reversed. Most NFL quarterbacks, their turnover-worthy play rate goes down when they target linebackers. See, that's, that's the kicker, right? Right. That's, and that makes sense, right? Because linebackers, I mean, they're not the best coverage players on the field. They're playing linebacker. So most players their turnover-worthy play rate actually drops a couple of percentage points when they target linebackers and spikes back up when they target anybody else. So, A, his spikes to a really high degree, and B, his relationship is the complete opposite to most quarterbacks. Yeah, and linebackers are usually, and this is what makes Keekley's numbers that you cited so incredible, they're usually getting you know, two players in their zone. They're getting exploited, right? Mm-hmm. They're getting schemed up, or it's this man coverage against a running back or against a tight end against somebody that, you know, should be better than you. Right. Um, and especially in the Shanahan scheme, we talked about last week, they, they do a great job of moving linebackers and, you know, vacating the middle of the field and creating easy throws. So that's what I was saying on Monday. Is he just coming out of play action and just assuming this play is going to work? This play always works. There's nobody there. Oh, just mm. there was somebody there. Whoops. Yeah. So I do think, I think the Packers, what's the strategy there? Mike Pettin, defensive coordinator has talked quite a bit about I'm not stop. We're not going to go stop the run as our number one priority. We're going to stop the pass, try to defend the run with fewer players in the box. So if he's going to stick to that philosophy, which he's even cited throughout the uh, year, kind of like slow playing against the run the same way Eric Kendricks played it, which is like, I'm not going to take two steps every time I'm going to slow play it. I'm going to work until I know that there's a handoff. I'm going to play pass first. If the Packers can do that, can they, could they steal one? Can they steal yeah. one of those Garoppolo and that's the mistakes? Thing. So my point was, my point was essentially, I don't think Garoppolo is a bad quarterback at all, um, but he is. So, and we're still very young into the guy's career, right? Yeah. And ultimately he hasn't actually played that much. So we're sort of still feeling out exactly what kind of player he is, but it's starting to look like he stylistically is kind of a game manager plus style of quarterback, right? I'll give you a couple numbers that'll... Okay, what do you got? That'll describe what I think he is at this point, right? First off, I called him Matt Hasselbeck for a comp there you go. a couple right. years ago, which I think is fair. Yeah. Matt Hasselbeck led a Super Bowl team in 2005. Mm-hmm. In 2017, and then this year, Garoppolo's two full seasons, he has been near the top of the league in overall positively graded throws. Mm-hmm. That year, he was like first or second. 2017, this year, he's eighth or ninth. But he has more turnover-worthy plays yeah. than big-time throws in both of those seasons and during his career. That means he's taken the schemed up stuff, which is great. You have to hit those throws. He's mm-hmm. got a high percentage of positives, but positively graded throws are usually high when you have a good quarterback plus a yeah. system, a receiver or whatever receivers, guys getting open. So he's hitting the open man. He doesn't turn it over a ton, but he has more turnover worthy plays than big time throws. So that's the thing, right? That I, the game manager phrase is used as a pejorative most of the time, which I, you know, I don't think is truly fair. I think it just describes a style of quarterback. And I think Garoppolo is in that bucket somewhere, right? Which is he's generally pretty good at taking all the schemed up stuff 
And sometimes he'll add some value and he'll make some plays and he's reasonably accurate and he's an efficient quarterback in that system. But most of those game manager quarterbacks, one of their defining characteristics is they don't turn the ball over or don't put the ball in harm's way very often at all. It's so assumed you, with that term. Game right. manager. So yeah. Alex Smith is the classic example, right? Yep. Really didn't make that many big plays, but was very, very good at taking care of the football. And that's the dynamic you play with. So Garoppolo makes more big plays than that, but makes a lot more turnover worthy plays than that. And so he's not among the worst players in the NFL at that. You know, Jameis Winston puts the ball in harm's way more than anybody. Daniel Jones is in is up there. Kyle Allen was amongst the worst of that. Right. Those are the guys that put the ball in harm's way more than anybody else. Garoppolo's not there, but he's in that half of the quarterbacks. Right. Somewhere in the top third, you know, about the line of the top third and the middle third of quarterbacks in terms of turnover worthy play percentage this year. So the problem with that is, yes, the offense is, is good. The scheme is good. They're going to they make life really difficult for a defense. But you're do you have that much confidence that Jimmy Garoppolo isn't going to make a critical mistake, which could completely swing the game? Now, it, it, Not could, it could have happened a week ago against the Vikings, but the Vikings were just overmatched across the board. But they were given the opportunity. He tried to hit Eric Kendricks one time, hit him again the second time. Like, if that was a really close game with fine margins that could have gone either way, like, that could have been the play that gave it to the Vikings. Now, it wasn't, and it might not be this week. But, you know, even if you just look at in simple terms of Vegas line, right? Mm -hmm. Vegas thinks this is a touchdown or a touchdown .5 game. One bad mistake that ends up as a pick six by Garoppolo. Now, now it's a coin flip immediately. Yeah, and it, it's a good point. So you're talking about, we talked about the Titans like stealing a touchdown with a Khalif Raymond deep ball or whatever it might be. You know, who would have thought that's what we're talking about is like the, the key to the AFC championship. But the key to the Packers is if there's that one or two mistakes per game, you got to take advantage. Mm-hmm. You, like Kendricks was lucky he got a second one thrown at him. Yeah. Uh, but you have to take advantage. And the other thing about that is, so both those plays by Kendricks were actually really good plays. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and Kendricks, we put him on our all-pro team this year. I think he made the actual all-pro team, right? Didn't make the Pro Bowl, but made the all-pro team. Yeah, of course. Um, so Kendricks is a top-end coverage linebacker in the NFL. He's going to get more of those opportunities because he's putting himself in a position to do it. Blake Martinez is not that good, but... Blake Martinez can catch a ball if one's fired at his face. There's a lot of tackles. Which is potentially what happens when Jimmy Garoppolo just doesn't see linebackers. Blake Martinez is the most annoying player when you look at his PFF grades. Right. He's been excellent at everything, just never at the same time. Blake Martinez, it's like, you never took, do you ever take SATs or an equivalent over there? I didn't, but I know what they are. So with the SATs, it doesn't matter how many times you take it. You just take your best scores. Yeah. Right? I only took it once. So I, I didn't even go back to the well. Got a good, got a good score. Yeah. But my wife, Kelly, beat me by 10. Mm. But she took it like three times. So it's almost like it doesn't fair. Not yeah. fair. But you take your math and you take your verbal and you take your best score. If Blake Martinez took his best coverage grade, his best run defense grade, and you like combine linebacker, then he's Luke Keekley, yeah. right? Then he's like the Hall of Famer. But the same thing happened at Stanford and at Green Bay. He'd have a great year against the run, bad in right. coverage, and then it would flip. It was hilarious. And conversely, if he took his worst score in all of them, he'd, oh, yeah, be, like, then, he'd be Ernie Sims. Yeah, then he's going to JUCO or something. Right. He's, not, he's not getting into school, actually. He's <laughs> ineligible, and he's Ernie Sims. Yeah, but, he's, you he's know. a frustrating player. But my point but is, high end, he's even though, yeah, even though he's not good, um, if you throw the ball at his face, 
he's probably going to catch it and turn you know, interception. What if his SAT scores reflected the way he plays on the field? That would be impressive. like one time he goes 800 math and 400 verbal and then right. flips it the next time. And yeah. Stanford's like, man, you got a 1600. Mm-hmm. Blake Martinez, Stanford man across the board here. All right. Um, are we done? What do you mean? Are we done this game? I had some other stupid point I wanted to make. Well, if you can't remember it. Oh, they? here's one other thing with Garoppolo. Uh-huh. Right. Just when you're ready to like define the guy. Yeah. Right. Because if you're describing his characteristics, you're like, what are you talking like quick release and like he does quick minded like the when uh, the offense is going to go with wins games and is handsome wins. Game. Yeah, he's very handsome. Definitely is wins games. That's all true. Mm-hmm. But like when the offense is running well, it's like he hits the top of his drop. Boom. Quick decision maker and all that stuff. But he also has these bouts where he just holds it too long. And that's what reminds me of Tua, who's coming up as a prospect. Like, two has got this incredible feel for the pass game, and I think Garoppolo does too. And then every now and again, something clouds their judgment, and it's like, here's this 2.2 second concept. The ball should be out, and it's like three seconds, and I'm holding on to it, and I'm taking a sack, and there's a fumble in the pocket. Those are the other turnover-worthy plays, or just sacks in general. You sacked 38 times this year, including last week. It just takes a couple more sacks than you would like to see, and the Packers have that fierce pass rush. So they could get to him. You know, if we're, if we're talking about a game where Garoppolo is going to fire one to a linebacker or two and the Smith brothers, Kenny Clark in the middle, and they're going to get you three, four, five times as far as negative plays go. Those are the impact plays. I think the Packers are going to need if they're going to pull the upset. Yeah. And I'm not saying he will do that. I'm just saying that he has a higher propensity for that than yeah, certainly just keep an eye on it. Certainly yeah. than any quarterback left in championship weekend. Yeah. I mean, it really, and it's like a handful of times, right? But um, you got to take advantage of that if it comes up. So uh, I'm taking the favorites again. I'm taking the Niners. I'm expecting a Niners Chiefs Super Bowl. What do you got? Yeah, same favorites. It's boring. It's I just yeah, it's more likely than not. So all right, do you want to speak generally about the free agent class? Yeah, and what we're getting into. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've ranked the top fifty. It's up on PFF.com. We put this. We put the quarterbacks aside. We will be putting them into rankings we have this very slick free agency tracker that's going to be unveiled i think next week it looks amazing it looks incredible our guys um as much as we lost the guys upstairs with our hate for uh for skyline i just want to give them a a ton of credit for for making a slick looking free agency tracker that's going to be on pff.com as early as next week Hmm. so we'll put the quarterbacks in the rankings and it's being slow rolled out though i'm not sure you're supposed to be announcing it on a a podcast i said next week I said, look, next week, uh, next week, we're going to announce it mm, officially. Okay. And, you know, our All folks right. deserve a little extra. They, you know, Easter eggs. They're, they're the best PFF fans. Our All, listeners. Right. All right. All right. All right. So mm-hmm. technically, Drew Brees, Tom Brady are going to be free agents. Well, so it's an ins- it's it's a really weird class, right? Because Tom Brady is definitely going to be a free agent. Like his contract is structured in such a way that it has to actually happen. Now, it may only happen for 10 minutes while they have a deal worked out that he needs to sign, but it will happen. Drew Brees' deal is voiding? He's got the void. It's it's almost certainly going to void. I don't know if they could re-up it or not, but they are in, like, they just keep pushing the cap into the next year. And there might be a point where they just say, okay, we're not doing that anymore. And I think there's an argument to be made that, this would be the year. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I, I anyway, don't think he slowed down. I think there's enough. an argument to be made. Yeah, I'm not sure. saying it's. Then you have Dak Prescott, who's almost certainly not hitting the open market because why the hell would you let him go after his best year, arguably? And, you know, but in theory, he's a free agent. 
and it's heading that way, right? But yep. they're probably franchise tagging. You got Ryan Tannehill, who's coming off the best graded season in PFF this year. Which, by the way, I'm working on a piece limited sample breaking size. down the biggest outlier seasons. I mean, right. he is officially the biggest outlier season that we've seen. Not just that, but he is, so A, biggest outlier season, and B, all the stuff that he's phenomenal at is the stuff that regresses, right? So if anyone is primed to head back in the tank, it's him. So, but I mean, he's played himself to the point where if you're the Titans, you kind of have to franchise tag him, right? Can you do anything else? I mean, no. you could sign him long term, but that would be insane. I think you could let him walk tag. out the door, but that would be equally insane. Franchise tag makes a ton right. of sense. Then you've got the guy that he replaced, Marcus Mariota, Jameis Went, the two guys that played out the, the first time anybody played out their fifth year option without a long term deal. Those two guys are both hitting the market. We're five years removed from this time of year debating who's going to be the number right. one pick, who's the guy. They played each other on New Year's Day and all that stuff, and they're both hitting free agency. Teddy Bridgewater is hitting free agency, having just shown in five games of starting that he can be the guy he was before injury again. You know, he hadn't completely changed, and, and now was just a backup. He is a viable starting candidate again. Like, the quarterback market alone is nuts. You haven't even hit on Dak Prescott. I just hit on Dak Prescott. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Philip Rivers. I hadn't hit That's who I meant you hit. I didn't hear you say Dak. I don't listen to everything you say. Yeah. Dak and then Phillip Rivers, by all accounts, just like Chicago Bears, you know, like who's going to go get Jaguars, like who's going to go get Phillip Rivers and say, we're going to make a legit Mm -hmm. playoff push here for a year or two. Then there's Case, the Bridge Keenum. (laughs) Like nobody, he's the bridgiest of bridge quarterbacks, Case Keenum. Mm. If you need a bridge, Case is out there. Short bridge. He's not a top 32 quarterback in the NFL any longer, which makes him, you know. Just a bridge. Mm. That's all he is. Maybe the best backup, though. You know what else is funny? Last year, after free agency, we said, which teams added the most value using our war metric? You know which team was number one? Titans? The Titans. And it was because they added Ryan Tannehill and because the previous year, Mariota got hurt and they had to trot Blaine Gabbard out there. Yeah. And I remember talking to the guys being like, come on, you can't take a backup quarterback and say they're the most improved because of it. And, and here we are look in the AFC. You look. I know. Look how stupid I look. <laughs> People want PFF to tell you when they're wrong. I'm going to tell you when we were right, but I was wrong. Yeah. For saying, you know, the Titans were the most improved team last offseason. And you're seeing it here. AFC championship weekend. Other interesting impending free agents. Chris Jones who has an argument to be known as, you know, the best interior defender in the NFL, not named not Aaron named Donald. Donald. Yep. Uh, Only 25 and a half years old, according to the website. Amari Cooper, who, yes. you know, inconsistent maybe, but legit number one star whiteout capabilities. Also 25 and a half. AJ Green didn't play at all this year, but when he's cooking as a top wide receiver. Way older than 25 and a half. Correct. Anthony Harris. Maybe the most underrated NFL player. This is going to be your uh, coverage superstar. Your guy from here through March where you're pushing him. Dude's fantastic. He's a legit all pro safety and he's hitting free agency. Playmaker who does not has not missed a ton of tackles. Right. Those are two things that I like in safeties. Byron Jones, you know, decent cover corner. Chris Harris, a guy maybe wants to move back to the slot, dominate inside and be a real game changer there. I have a place for him. Yeah, I know you do. Uh, Genevieve Clowney. Back-to-back dominant years, looking about as good as he can be right now. Hunter Henry, a little bit brittle, but when he's playing, pretty dominant. Don't forget Eli Manning. But, Eli Manning's also. Um, Corey Littleton, one of the best coverage linebackers in the NFL. Defense. Joe Schobert, same thing. Right. Defense Similar. in this free agent class is really good. Offense, less so. Also, by the way, Derrick Henry, or as he shall be known, running back folly. Ugh. 
we've got some we have some critical folks saying well, uh, why is he number 28 yes so i tried to convey this in a nuanced twitter conversation right yeah Derek Henry being ranked 28th in our free agent top 50 is not a reflection on the fact that Derek Henry has no talent. It's a reflection on the fact that the evidence is getting overwhelming that suggests that running backs require an environment conducive to their success. They essentially need the platform to work from in order to thrive, right? And in order to get that platform, you need money. And therefore, you can't give the money to the running back that therefore doesn't have a platform to work from, right? Again, see Le'Veon Bell, see Melvin Gordon. You need the money to build the platform to then get the running back who can add the value on top of that, at which point you don't have the money to spend on the running back anymore. So, you and I, over the last couple of years, have had multiple arguments with people about, here's why Saquon's not worth the number two pick, yeah. or here's why Le'Veon's not worth the money. And generally, the first response is, well, yeah, because he doesn't have a good offensive line. Yeah. Or yeah, because he doesn't have a good quarterback. And you're making our point. Yeah. It, I'm just saying, turn the clock on 12 months time, right? And let's assume, basically pick a team. But most of the teams that are going to have the money to spend on Derrick Henry do not have the best environment in the world for him to thrive. So let's turn the clock forward 12 months. Imagine Derrick Henry has gone to a team that doesn't have a great offensive line, that doesn't have a great offense generally, and he's had a season where he gets 1,100 yards at four yards per carry, broke 50 tackles, was no factor in the pass game, and it costs them $15 million in cap space to make it happen, right? Plus a whole boatload more guaranteed for the next few years. Do you regret that decision or not? Most yeah. people would probably say yes, at which point, how high can you put him in a list of free agents? It's not that we don't think he's talented. It's that we don't think yeah, like his said, value in free agency should be very high. The difference between his talent and the next running back could be this wide, but the difference in production could be this wide. And if you're only listening, I had my hands far apart <laughs> and then I brought them closer together when I talked about the difference in production, just to you know paint a picture. It's just look, free agency is a value driven marketplace and us ranking him 28th is simply a reflection that we do not believe the value yeah. of investing in a running back is very high. It should be much lower than that. I used to go into fantasy drafts, whether it was baseball or football, and there was just certain guys I just didn't believe in. Like the numbers or the rankings or how good they are said that they were 30th or whatever it is. But when I got to that point, I was just like, I, do I really want to invest in this guy? Do I really want to spend a second or third round pick on him in a fantasy? So I just go to the next guy. That's kind of how I think I would treat running backs, right? Derrick Henry, you're intriguing. You're appealing. Kenyon Drake, you're appealing too as a, as a big play threat that Sam loves in the right system. You put him in space and all that stuff. But I'm just going to have to let someone else pay you. I'm just going to let someone else draft you. I'm just going to let someone else right. t inherit that risk. I'm not willing to take it. That's, That's how thing. I handle and running backs. It's not that I don't think there's any difference between the two of them. I think one of the, you know, this argument, this argument a lot of the time gets just it's straw man stuff. It's just boiled down to simplistic sound bites and it just gets stupid. Right. It's not that I don't think there's any difference between running backs. I think there are. I think, and I think there's running backs that suit specific systems. Absolutely. Right? My thing is simply, so Kenyon Drake, I love the fit of Kenyon Drake in that Arizona system, right? They spread everybody out wide. They even have wide offensive line splits and therefore there's way more space for running yeah. than typically most running backs get. Right. And Kenyon Drake is not uniquely, but very 
unusually suited to a system that gets him more space to run the ball, right? He will make a better, uh, a better um, outcome from those carries than your average running back. But when you get to the point where it's like, all right, now his contract's up and he wants $12 million a season. Well, it's like, ah, sorry, because the thing that's giving you all that production is the wide splits and the spread system and the offense. You know what I mean? Right. It's not you're you. a great fit that you're, I'm willing to spend like a third or fourth right. rounder. You're doing a, a great, contract. yeah, you're doing a great job of generating yeah. production in the thing that I've created. But the thing that I've created is what's determining the value, not you. So when you want $15 million a year, I'm just going to have to go looking for the next guy that will do really well in that system. And that's the same thing with Derrick Henry, right? He's doing a great job right now of maximizing the impact of really good run blocking from that offensive line and all that kind of stuff. Right. But you're not the thing that's generating that you're the thing that's working symbiotically with the blocking. And if I have to pick one or the other, I'm picking the blocking. Yeah. And and that's the thing too. Like when we look back and it's like, well, Henry's the catalyst to this Titans team. Nope. Was he the catalyst when they were two and four? Like what changed when they were two and four and then became nine and seven? The quarterback. Yes. The quarterback who played out of his skull in a play, in a way that he never had for the rest of his career. Mm-hmm. That's what changed. Yeah. And they have the number two passing attack. Mm-hmm. Henry's been there the entire season. So just at a macro view. Also, the offensive line has gotten dramatically better from early in the season. They have improved. Roger Saffold. The run like, blocking, the pass blocking. It's all gotten a little bit better. Saffold looked like a free agent disaster. He's got healthy. He's learned the system. Conklin. I mean, Luan came back. He was suspended. Am I right? Suspended, right? Not injured. Start of the season. Conklin is playing better. The entire offensive line has completely transformed what it's doing. Conklin's in free agency, too. And he's he's one of those guys needs to be protected as a pass protector. But if you are one of those downhill running teams that wants to impose your will and all that stuff, Conklin's pretty good. One of the better run blockers, versatile run blocker as well. Multiple schemes does things well. So. We're just scratching the surface when it comes to the offseason mm-hmm. and free agency because we have a little bit more time on our hands. We'll have a lot more in the coming weeks. So don't forget, hit us up with hashtag PFF Live. If you have any interest in the PFF NFL podcast, live show at the Combine, maybe somewhere else. We'll see if we can expand that, do a little bit more interactive stuff. Really want to give back to you guys because our fans and listeners have just been amazing through the years. Somebody just sent me a Google image search for Skyline Chili. Presumably this is the first time they've heard of it. There's one of the pictures where they've colored the spaghetti green. What? Why? I don't know. Are those green noodles? Yes. What's happening there? They've made the spaghetti green. Oh, for St. Patty's Day. Oh, come on. Probably for Patty. Don't do that. St. Patty's Day. Look, as an Irishman, I You should go to Skyline for their green noodles on uh, St. Patty's Day. As an Irishman, I object to the use of that we should not be subjected to that i don't like the way that by the way that my phone woke up and google searched skyline chili when we started talking about it, it. Did? yeah that's what was happening there i kept seeing it no, it flashed up and then i saw it searching skyline look skyline chili local restaurants near huh. me i don't want that google take it away find skyline for sam no find skyline for sam Where's the closest skyline why skyline chili made up i, click on that. <laughs> I want to know what the, i want to know the answer now now, tune in next time. We'll let you know what Skyline Chili is really made of. Google says, instead, the basic recipe includes only water, meat, and spices. <laughs> Tur- spices. Tourists who try Skyline Chili for the first time are often shocked by its unique <laughs> blend of seasonings. 
which includes... Uh, which, Chili, how hard could it be? Which has been said to include cumin, Worcestershire sauce, paprika, uh, vinegar, cloves, and something distinctly sweet. <laughs> oh, my God. Google, you've done well. Okay, I, I take it back. You can wake up and tell me about Skyline anytime you like. That's outstanding. Skyline, not a future sponsor. Gold Star, definitely not a future hashtag sponsor. At least we're not Gold Star. At least we're not Gold Star. That'll do it. Can for we get us that on week. a poster? Have we insulted everybody this week in Cincinnati? No, just the local everybody? chili people. All right, we'll be back Monday morning recapping all of the championship week action. Propercloth.com, PFF twenty. Go get yourself a shirt. Mm. A custom. You guys can play me out shirt. now. What are we playing? Play you out me with? out now. We have some music. Yeah, there you get go. me out of here. We're out. We're out. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did go check out kyler murray and his nfl debut that's my favorite thing about nfl game pass you can go back and watch at any time and if you haven't watched a condensed game yet you have to try it out it's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire nfl game in the fraction of the time it normally takes it's how i'm able to follow all the mvp candidates all the breakout stars and of course your waiver wire pickups all season long to see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at nfl.com slash pro football focus NFL.